beginning transmission 123, the Sentry, File under, Andy Wilson Month. エピソードへようこそ。エクノ。シュドリンクス。イチウィークアモトレイバンドコミックリーダーズスラッシュアマチュアニュースアチュオート漫画とピアカクテルバーです。オールワイルトライングトナットサウンドライクコンプリートモー
<laughs> bringing up balls of wax that should be brought up. We have in Utah the sole Utah today. Well, we're all from Utah, I think. But the no, Andrew, you're in California. Oh well, I mean, not from, but lived there for 15 years. So yeah, okay. yeah, that counts. Close enough. That counts. The weird thing I've realized is that California, by a long distance, is the closest state and lengthwise that I've lived in next to Utah. Mm-hmm. I lived in Utah for 21 years, and I've lived in uh, California for 10. There you go. So. Yeah. So I started out my life in Texas, then I moved to Utah when I was 12. So I've now been in Utah much longer than I have been in anywhere else. But there's part of me that still says, you know, I come from Texas, and I'll still like that. <laughs> and I was born in California and now live in Texas. So yeah. that's right. Yeah. I was born in the uh, real happening place of Midland, Texas. Oh, Midland. Yeah. Wonderful. It's great town. No. Yeah. No, not at all. There's nothing there. But, you know, my old man was in oil, so that's why we were there. Yep. And I was on the... I was going to say oil. Oh, yeah. Hey, yeah. But we were on the outskirts of town. I still have clear memories of coyotes howling every night. It was a magical time. Yep. Yeah. It's a magical place. I actually grew up down the street from a uh, peacock farm. I'm one of the few people who actually knows what peacocks sound like. Like, I can definitely identify that sound yeah i can't remember where i was at one point in time but i heard it and i was like oh that's a peacock and people are like no that's it and i'm like no that's that's definitely a peacock and like then of course this peacock was walking around like how did you know that i'm like one of those things like i couldn't identify most bird calls but a peacock i could sit there and probably go oh that's that's definitely what that is absolutely yeah it's a, it's a it's really distinctive it's like yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, something like that well, like, i don't do bird calls but it's like yeah well the weird problem yeah. i had this summer i was sound designing a show and they had a uh a, the script cr- called for a crocodile roar, and I'm like, crocodiles don't roar, they hiss. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. they, they don't have the vocal cords in order to roar. So, uh, long story short, I used the sound of uh, the uh, T Rex from Jurassic Park. That's a whole other different set of design yeah, choices. Is- uh, anyway, I'm finally getting to this intro. So, we have <laughs> in Utah by himself, the once Texan, now Utah, Mr. Todd. Hi, I'm Todd, and you can find me here on the Funny Books and Firewater podcast, kicking it with you guys. I also do English class hooligans with my better half, Amy. Hi, Amy. Hey, Amy. Hi, Amy. Hey. And I do it as well with Brian, also on this show. That's the podcast where I can tell my parents about and say, listen to that one. Never mind this other one where I don't speak cleanly. Right. So... (laughs) But yeah, but that one is where we voluntarily do book reports on classic books where we should have read in college and high school and going, are these still considered, Are they, do these warrant their classic status or not and why? Yeah. Yeah. Classic status now that he's had his birthday. Mm-hmm. Uh, once from California and now living in Texas, we have the birthday boy, Mr. Andy Wilson. Hey, everybody. Uh, you can find <laughs> writing over at Graphic Policy. And sometimes on the Board as Hell podcast with Adam. Hey, Adam. Hey, Hi, Adam. <laughs> and, uh, and come soon uh, in this week's episode, I will tell you all about the Hall of Greatness and where you can check that out. The Hall of Greatness? Yes. That's a ballsy move, and I'm proud of you for doing it. I don't know if I would name a podcast the Hall of Greatness because I would just feel like I would fall flat on that promise. Oh, I'm not saying that we're great. It is all about celebrating things that are great and trying to identify what makes something great. So I have a book for you. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, have you read uh, – do you know who Chuck Cloisterman is? Yes. Okay. Have you read um, What If We're Wrong? No, I have not. 
Okay, so I'm currently reading it. I love it. So, but his whole concept for the it's it's one of the it's it's still sort of like his standard essay stuff, but it's actually like each section takes on a different topic. And what he's trying to do is he's basically looking at what from our current popular culture will stand the test of time and what future generations will look back on. Like so, the same way we kind of look back on like Mozart and Shakespeare and whatever. What from rock music will be the thing that's most identified and what from literature and so he basically picks a different chapter and goes over different things and he has some really interesting things uh philosophies one of which i as soon as i read uh, read it i sent it to adam because i'm like he needs to do this on cinema queens which since you're a film critic and you'll appreciate this he's using this as a side explanation but it's really interesting he's talking about the movie the matrix right and he's talking about how the movie when it first came out was renowned for its visual effects mm-hmm. and its philosophy and he says as the visual effects become more and more commonplace and mm-hmm. as the philosophy becomes more and more commonplace and more people you know kind of take in that idea of you know we are all in some sort of creative delusion or whatnot he goes the film will be remembered for something completely different and what he believes that the film in future generations will be remembered for is the fact wait that- let me guess Yes. Columbine? No, not at no. all. No, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. It will be, he believes it'll be rec- uh, recognized because the directors and writers at the time they made the film were both men and then have since transitioned to women. And so they believe, uh, he believes that the film will be recognized as a statement about a false reality versus a real interesting. reality. Interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah. And believes that it'll be a statement about uh, transgender, uh, you know, and all sorts of stuff. I'm like, that is fascinating and interesting. So that, so I told Adam, I'm like, you now need to do the Matrix on Cinema Queens. So, and if he does it, I'm going to guest star on it because I'm the oh, one who read beautiful. the book. Good. That's so, great. Anyway, so yeah, so it, but that it's it's all about like looking for the greatness and things. So I'd highly recommend it. It's it's very been a very entertaining read. It's also one of those reads that you read it and you feel like I'm feeling smarter for reading this, but I also am not necessarily feeling like I'm smart enough to actually have a dinner party with this guy who's writing this you know what i mean but right which is kind of fun so and so and part of what we're looking for is i believe that there is greatness in the mundane and greatness in like the the idea is somewhere out there someone makes the best grilled cheese sandwich that's a, okay. Sure. You know they have a competition for yeah. that in LA every and, year. And, but mm-hmm. even if it's not like a fancy one, like someone's grandma makes the best meatloaf out there. Like that's an amazing thing yeah. and that should be celebrated. And so what is it about all of these things? And I'm trying to – what I'd like to eventually do is bring on as many different and diverse voices as possible and just hear about what people are passionate about. And I'm starting with my kids. And so one of the first episodes is my daughter talking about this video game Undertale and the internet culture behind Undertale and all of these alternate realities that people have created and side characters that only exist on internet message boards. And it's fascinating. So that's interesting. Yeah. But it's great to her. It is great. And Mm -hmm. it's what she and all of her friends are obsessed with. So that's what I'm looking at. That's cool. I'm trying to think of what subjects I could like. I have a really deep seated belief about something, but I don't necessarily know if I have enough to actually fill a full podcast for you with. Well, it. which is, I, I believe that there's something very important about the Pez dispenser. Oh, that is a. You have always had a thing about the Pez dispenser. I have. I believe that the Pez dispenser is is an iconography of of, of kindness and friendship. Because, like, it is literally a device that is built to share I, 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 to share candy and to identify something that you are into. 
in some way or another. You know what I mean? And somehow identify yourself and show a sense of humor. Like it is, it is a gateway thing. It's sort of how I feel about cosplay too. Like I didn't really mm-hmm. understand cosplay until I first went to a con, and then you start realizing that mm-hmm. cosplay is part of a like starting of a community and a conversation and saying, "I love this thing so much, I'm going to wear it." And you find other people, like-minded individuals, who either recognize what you are wearing, or are wearing something similar, or from the same vein, or who are going to go in and play and do that with you. So, like, I, I feel like that's sort of like a, a small version of it, but like that's about as far of a philosophy as I can take on that. So, no, but that's that's exactly what I'm looking for. But we're also going to go into things that are like, uh, you know, who's the best Star Trek captain? Like, it, kind of basic classic debates, but then also like. What are the great challenges of our society? We eventually want to talk about like racism, incels, mm-hmm. uh, you know, things that are big, important topics, but that are also great and great challenges. So um, it'll be interesting and we'll be rolling that out in a few weeks. I really like this idea. Yep. Because it's always interesting because and what's not it's a focus on the positive because exactly there's so much out there and going it's really easy to tear down or doing this but the focus on the positive of what's awesome out there let's celebrate its right. awesomeness because on the flip side is with cosplay and whatnot the thing i've kind of held on to is the uh, highest grossing movie of all time is avatar and yet i have yet to see a cosplay of avatar in the multiple events i've been to and it seems though Avatar made all the money for its time, there does not seem to be so much of a lasting cultural impact. And what does that mean? I'm not quite well, sure. Well, the other thing I think is really interesting is is that there are what, like seven more movies coming out, and I don't know if anyone is really like just chomping at the bit to see them. Sure. You know what I mean? There's that Avatar land in Florida. I'm curious on yeah. how that is doing, if it's doing okay because of all the other lands near it, if it was more siloed. Well, what it's well, I think. Be. I mean, here, the honest fact of it is that it, it was in a land that needed help uh-huh. with something, and it was also part of the new Disney push to do more fully immersive lands. Whereas right. it used to be more lands based on ideas and then individual rides being immersive. Now their push seems to be uh, doing more immersive things with Star Wars Land and Cars Land. I think being the first one is, of them is um, Avatar a Fox property. Um, I believe technically it is, but the thing was is I believe that all of the rights for that were held on to by James Cameron. Uh-huh. So I think he produced it himself. So I think it, I, everything I heard was the deal was with James Cameron, sort of like the Star Wars deal for Star Tours with George Lucas. Lucas. Okay, Lucas was making the deal with Disney. I mean, because they they've had that for forever. I think that was the same story with uh, Indiana Jones was a Paramount film, you mm-hmm. know, but they've had Indiana Jones ride for forever because I think Lucas holds on to those rights. And so okay. That's how I think the deal works out. But that that puts an interesting wrinkle into it now where if Fox now Disney. owns Avatar, or if Disney now owns Fox, then they definitely have an incentive to keep that interesting and running and possibly bring those films out and, you know, create some more demand. Oh, yeah, them. I think, I mean... I mean, every major studio, no matter who they are, is all trying to Make a create a... Well, they're, they're, they're trying to create a... Um, Oh, I, what's the phrase I'm thinking of? Um, a franchise. A, a franchise. Yeah. There you go. Thank you very much. Because yeah. yeah, every, everyone wants franchise. Because the thing is, is that you have a built-in audience for yeah. a while, as long as right. you keep making semi-quality things, and you don't go the, you know, Transformers route. You know. <laughs> Even but, the bad Transformers movies make a shit ton of money. But that, that I mean, is, I saw the last night, and I I don't think I've ever seen something that's such an assembly of clips. 
that doesn't really make a hole. Yeah. That's why I did well in Asia. Yep. And hey, I'm okay. Brian. I'm a sound designer based out of Southern California. How are you? Yeah, I don't have any shows going on right now. And at some point in time, that video game will be happening again. And, you know, and I do a podcast with Todd. And, you know, uh, that's, that's about what I got. So uh, anyway, so this week we are talking about the Sentry. Um, S-E-N-T-R-Y, as in like military Sentry, not as in Sentry. The wedding in, of um, the Sentry. The wedding yeah, but they do play that joke in here. Yeah, they do. Uh, uh, the basic gist of it, uh, and Andy, correct me if I'm wrong on this. Uh, basically, there's a guy who kind of awakens and realizes that he was a superhero, and for some reason, no one remembers his existence. And he's basically sort of a mystery of trying to figure out why no one remembers who he is and what's going on with him and all that sort of stuff. That's sort of the basic starting point. Right. Okay. Yeah. Is this a case of... Um fiction becoming truth because you ask people now who the century is and most of them give you a blank look <laughs> yeah it's it's really interesting especially because the the original idea behind this was hey did you know that stanley created the superhero this golden age superhero before the fantastic four before the x-men before spider-man and then everybody just sort of forgot about him because everyone else became popular and they stopped publishing his book. And, well, now we're bringing him back. And mm-hmm. this is, you know, the rebirth of the century. And it's like, oh, that's very interesting. And um, so kind of a, an interesting way to to look at that. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get more into that as we go into spoilers territory. Well, before we get into spoilers territory, shall we do a drinking game first? Yes. Sure. And now for sports. Listen up, sports fans. Prepare yourself and your liver for this week's drinking game. Remember, it's only a game and a dumb one at that. So don't take it too seriously. And above all else, please drink responsibly. So uh, I'm going to go with my drinking game rule. Uh, my drinking game rule I'm calling Stay Gold Pony Boy, for those of you who are Outsiders fans or at least yep. have read the book, which I think you have to read in like eighth grade. So it's every time the color gold is mentioned, take a drink. Uh, specifically, who is it? Uh, Hulk calls him Golden Man or something yep. like that a lot. But uh, yeah, so definitely on the Hulk issue, you'll be, you'll, you'll you'll be really drinking be. a lot. Uh, Mr. Todd, what is your drinking game rule? Remember? Don't you remember me? <laughs> oh, I remember. <laughs> okay. I remember. No, you don't. But please remember. So every time he's going through, it's like, somehow this is a conspiracy. People have forgotten about me. You need to go ahead and take a drink because no one remembers right. the century. So basically the entire book. Yeah, it's a game. It's a mean okay. game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, a, uh, it's pretty mean. Okay, Mr. Uh, Andy. Mine is also pretty mean. Yeah. Holy retro Batman. Uh, anytime the art style and writing shifts to be a flashback to a golden age comic book style take a drink uh that is also that very is, mean that might but be yes. the meanest one to be honest with you i mean todd's is a little more nebulous there are uh, a few uh different ways around mm. that but uh yeah you say sober around the hulk sort of yeah i guess that's true the hulk remember them. i guess that's true so you have that uh, yeah there is that yeah but, Okay, cool. Um, well, so we're going to go into votes as to... Well, uh, we're doing a one big vote now, as, uh, as Todd has, uh, has deemed it. Uh, so we'll, we'll do on the count of three, and we'll see uh, you know, what everyone's reactions are, is whether or not we believe that it is worth your hard-earned time and money and effort to go hunt this book down and read it. 
so on the count of three, one, two, three. Yes. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Right, and I'm assuming yours was a yes. Yeah, but... mine was a yes. <laughs> okay. I mean, not getting into too much spoiler territory. Am I angry or upset that I read this book? No. Mm-hmm. Do I feel like my life was changed by reading it? No. no. I mean, it's kind of a, it's a fun afternoon read, um, but it's interesting that it hasn't made a major impact on the rest of the Marvel Universe, but there's probably interesting reasons for that. Maybe good reasons. I don't know. But uh, we can get into that, you yeah. know, when we get into spoiler territory. Any Anything that people should know before jumping into this book if they so decide to go read it? One of the things I think is so interesting about this is that it was published. This was their big crossover event, the summer of 2000. And many, many, many podcasts okay. ago, I think in Ex Machina, Brian, you talked about how 9-11 mm-hmm. is sort of this weird bellwether, like things that happened before things that happened after mm-hmm. uh-huh. this certainly seemed like a you know a more pre 9-11 sort of crossover event um where it was it was kind of dark but it didn't okay. have the same sort of ominous tones and i think there were cer- certain things that they probably couldn't have gotten away from uh, gotten away with if this had been published even three or four years later that's a valid point, actually. Yeah, I hadn't thought yeah. about that, but yeah, that does that does make sense, and that does does sort of maybe make it put it in, in the context of why it doesn't feel like it has the gravitas that some of the other stuff that we've read um, does. Also, knowing that it came out in the year two thousand and it's called the Century, I I see the the punny game that they're playing there, which seems like a very Stan Lee right. kind of thing to do. And it does. It- yeah, and this is also before like Marvel Wikipedia is really heavily used. Um, when we mm-hmm. get into the spoiler parts, I think there's there's a certain game being played here, and it it wouldn't have worked even a few years later. Oh, okay. I, I feel I'm like we're going to be educated. Yeah. Yes, we're going to be educated by the, the Mr. Andy. So why don't we jump into a little bit of a break? Um, you're going to hear a, uh, a a lovely little ditty that we uh, we put in there forever ago, and then we're going to hear an ad for another uh, show on the Hello Sweetie Podcast Network. Uh, I believe this one's for the Spoonful, a, uh, a bi-weekly. Bi-weekly is a weird phrase because it either means twice a week or every other week. So yeah. This one means every other okay. uh, podcast. Uh, I, li- I was just editing the other episode and I, I listened to the ad, so now I know what it is. Mm-hmm. So that's we recorded two last week, which is why I didn't know what it was last week. So there you go. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so uh, you'll hear those little ads and then we'll be back. And uh, Andy's going to give us an education. All right. Uh, all, we're going we're gonna to learn us some things. So anyway, cool. We'll see you on the flip side. Captain's got a teeth stuff. <laughs> <laughs> If you have yet to read this week's book and would like to read it now, press pause. Go ahead. We'll wait.
I'm, okay, I'm interested now, Andy. So, okay, you, you might so, change my mind on this book. Well, I'm, I'm kind of wishing. Before we um, start, I guess here. my real question, Andy, when was the first time you read this? So, I've, I have a very specific story about this, and it's why it is a very special, important book to me. Okay, I first read this 13 years ago, um, this week. Oh, wow. okay, uh, as in. The week that this podcast is coming okay. out, um, I have I have a friend uh, whose name is also Andy, and he and I were great comic book buddies. And he was one of the people who got me back into comic books. Um, you know, I'd kind of fallen out in the uh, in the nineties. I got into other stuff, and uh, even though I'd been really into X Men, I hadn't really fall um, you know followed what had happened post. Uh, you know, post Claremont era. And uh, he started giving me stuff and he said, you have to read this book, The Sentry. And uh, it was just one, he gave me a stack of comics for a very specific reason. Um, we were about to have a kid. And uh, mm-hmm. my my wife and I were, you know, he just gave me a stack of comics to put into our hospital bag. So I had something to read. And one of those was this book, The Sentry. So I first read this book uh, sitting in the hospital, uh, the first half waiting for my daughter to be born, and the second half after she was born. Um, so uh, it, it's a you know a very specific fixed moment in time, and I'm going to cop to all sorts of sentimentality around this, um, that it therefore means more to me because of that. But... Um, I, I also think that it's a really cool idea. Um, that being said, I think the whole this is the whole ruse of the book mm-hmm. was that they tried to play this retcon game where they said, "Hey, guess what? Stanley made up this character that you haven't heard of before, and everybody's forgotten about. And the book is all about how everyone has forgotten about this character." And um, you know, you had, if you read, I think the most interesting part of the entire book are the last like five or six pages, mm-hmm. uh, which are notes from people like the editors of Wizard and uh, and letters from Stan Lee mm-hmm. and from other Marvel people saying like how we decided to pull one over on the fans <laughs> and, um, you know, and and essentially say, hey, this this was a guy and we forgot about him. And um, but the book really isn't about that at all. And I think that this is one of those things where the attempt was really interesting. And then the um, uh, the way it was pulled off was not quite as as good as what as what they might have wanted to. Um, and I had also forgotten. Uh, I thought there was a bunch of stuff that was in this book that wasn't. And then I remembered it was later in. Bendis's Dark Avengers that they brought all of this up and I was like oh maybe we should have just read Dark Avengers instead because that was a that's where all the other cool Sentry stuff was this is where he was introduced but I think Bendis did a did a better job with him just a few years later well and I think I think your description of good idea not necessarily the best execution is probably pinpoint on with my analysis of this book is the only reason why I gave it kind of a meh versus a yes you totally need to go read it you know what I mean like I I think the idea is interesting Um, in fact the idea reminded me a little bit of I don't know if you've read uh, 
Jeff Le- uh, Jeff Lemire did um, a run on Moon Knight, where the whole mm-hmm. concept is is that Moon Knight is in a mental institution and he's not sure if he really is like his reality is like twisted, so you don't know if he really is the superhero or if his mind is just messed up and that he's actually just crazy and he bounces between a few different timelines and and the, that would general vibe in fact even the art style had some similarities to that particular book as well right. so like i could see those connections so i thought like that concept was interesting and like uh there were some interesting things were done with the art that i actually really liked i actually really like the hulk book in particular i really like the art on that um yeah the see the coloring made me nutty oh really yeah, I did not care for the coloring yeah. on this one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I guess the thing for me was that, like... And I, I liked it, actually. I was okay with the art style. I think the thing okay. was is that if story-wise, it felt a little repetitive of, like, him just going from one superhero to another superhero being like, hey, do you remember me? Hey, hey, do you remember me? Remember me? Hey, <laughs> hey, 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 hey. You know? And so that was, like, yeah. the, the only sort of beef I had with it was, was like, I liked the idea. I, th- I think it would have been cooler if, like... The first issue was people trying to remember him and maybe not remembering him, but they have to start trusting him, and he goes on through something, and then eventually they start to figure out that he really is the guy who thought he said he was. You know what I mean? But the adventure doesn't really... like. It's basically the first half of the book is, hey, do you remember me? And then, then it doesn't really get anywhere interesting until the last book where he basically has to fight himself. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know. Like, But yeah, I, I think that, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Again, if if Marvel Wiki had been around at this point, people would have immediately seen through the ruse and been yeah. like, "Oh yeah, no, this guy never existed before. Why is Stanley like lying to us?" Yeah, and mm. and and I remember hearing Q on previous episodes talking about mm-hmm. why he hated the Sentry. Mm-hmm. I think for that very reason, because they pulled this giant retcon and basically said we don't care if you've read everything for the last 60 years. Here's this new thing that actually happened and we're yeah. lying to you and trying to gaslight the fans into like who actually know this stuff. And they're, mm-hmm. they're saying like, no, no, this is, this is a forgotten character. They're like, no, it isn't. Uh, yeah. So I, I think there's something, I think there's something there and I think there's something to that. I just, I love the idea and I love that also um, he's a, kind of a terrible superhero uh, a lot of what, <laughs> a lot of what his powers are based on are uh, substance abuse and mental yeah. issues and um, I mean he you know he, he's it seems like he might be abusive to his wife he kicks his dog in the first issue mm-hmm. um, you know it's like oh who kicks their dog yeah, Bob Reynolds is not a good guy. So uh, there, I think that was part of it, and uh, and and I I like that. I like my superheroes dark, and I like the idea that they were taking this like very classic, uh, good, uh, you know, kind of golden age character, and making him super super dark. Well, at least the concept of mm. golden right, exactly superhero. exactly. No, I could, I could get behind that. And I, I mean, I do think that, that that idea is interesting. I think, I mean, also, I mean, who, uh, how are you surprised by a, a sales ploy like that from Stanley? You know what I mean? Like, how can you really be shocked that they wouldn't try? I mean, I, I think it is kind of a brilliant sort of idea of saying, hey, you know, you you thought you knew everything. And then there's this, you know, this character. Thing like that. And I think in, in the modern 
era where you do have the wikis on everything, it's harder to pull that kind of thing off. But I mean, it would be interesting, like, because it could be a completely different book. Like, if it had, I mean, because if it had been a real character that no one knew, there was one guy somewhere who was like, yes, finally my character is getting their due. You know what I mean? Um, and, and for that guy, it would have been the greatest comic book of all time because he'd you know, been a diehard fan of a character who'd only appeared in two issues of something somewhere. You know? Um, I mean, I guess it'd be like me uh, when we did Star Wars a little while ago. If the, if the murder droids suddenly got their own comic book, I would be super excited, but I don't know if anybody else would care. You know what I mean? So Those murder droids I think there's are pretty enough awesome. of a fan base yeah. for them, actually. People would be pretty into that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah. But, I mean, but the general idea, though, of like, you know, I mean, so I, right. I don't know, that it, it's kind of a fun sales pitch, though. You kind of got to admit it's kind of kind of a cool. I mean, and they pulled it off probably at the last moment that you could do something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. Like that was pretty much right at the very tail end of it. It is now that I think about it, it is very interesting that this this is pre nine eleven, so it, it does have a very different feel of what's important. It, it it does put it shed a different light on it thinking about it in that context. And I didn't think it would make that big of a deal, but it really kind of does. Hmm. Especially since that was exactly when I was getting back into comics was two thousand to two thousand three, two thousand four. I really mm-hmm. noticed how that unfolded like in real time. Uh, you know what mm-hmm. what worked pre 9/11 and what didn't like just and yeah. and it was it was really interesting and then you see like the the next major big event in Marvel was of course Civil War uh in in the mid 2000s mm-hmm. which would not have happened if if not for 9/11 and essentially as again I'm going to steal from my friend Andy who said Tony Stark essentially becomes Dick Cheney. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that was, uh, you know, that, that wouldn't, uh, that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Yeah. And, uh, I, I thought that was really interesting. What comics reflecting on the real world, talking about real world events. We can't have that happen. Stop putting politics in my comics. That never <laughs> no. happens. Never happens. That never happens. You know, athletes need to just focus on the game and comics exactly. need to just focus on the entertainment. Quit opening schools, LeBron. Jeez. Stay in your lane. <laughs> How dare to help you? Out your community. What a jerk. I know. Well, you know what was interesting as I was reading through this? I'm not, I'll be the first to tell you, I'm not such a Marvel guy. Brian was at my house the other day, and I think 90% of the Marvel comics I have is because of this show. Oh, I think it's probably completely fair. Having looked at your comment, I think that's a completely fair statement. Yeah, because I have like Earth X and the two or three I did had, we actually ended up doing on the show, so that worked out. Yeah. But I have like maybe three trades that aren't show related. And I can't exactly say why I've got a bias against them, but it's, it's also there. You have a love of, of, uh, of Batman. DC. So. I do. I mean, so much so that my father saw my tattoo on that uh, within like 30 seconds of me being in the pool. That was awesome. Nope. But back to Marvel. I'm not such a Marvel guy. And even like the Stan Lee presents, I'm like, huh, they're still doing that. And like in the opening of the issues, it's, you know, it's, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. But I was just, eh. I don't really have a lot to add to this, I guess. It's the um, the story was there. It was connected. And you've got this guy. Hey, I'm here. Don't you remember who? Don't you know who I am? And you've mm-hmm. got Reed Richards being, I don't know who he is. He must be making this up because I am the great Reed Richards. 
Talk about a guy that's consistently a jerk. Yeah, it's true. Reed Richards is kind of always a dick. He is. And it's, you know, I I guess good on him for being consistent (laughs) in this way. You want to call it that way, I guess. Yeah. If you want to call it that way. Um, I read, did rather enjoy the uh, art style for like the golden age era of that. That's Mm -hmm. one of those things I probably enjoyed the most about this book as it's going back and forth. Because with that current age, with the coloring I had mentioned earlier, there was kind of like someone, the colorist discovered, oh, I've got this paint shop tool that I could have this kind of like this speckled thing across everything. And for me, that was just really distracting. And I'm like, I got it on the first two frames. You can stop now. Agreed. No, that, that's exactly how I felt about the art. And <sighs> as as someone who is more of a story guy than an art guy, even here, I was just like, this is like not interesting to me. Like, it was like early Ben Temple Smith stuff. Sure. And, you know, we uh, rag on Ben Temple Smith and probably more so than it's deserved. But he got better and this got better. And it's it is it's an interesting inflection. It's prior to the 9-11 thing. And you can kind of tell. And is this just very much a product of its time that's just aged quite poorly of everything else? I mean, there's like this... Um, the Golden Age has this, oh, look at the times of yore, wasn't this fun? And this doesn't, this was trying to um, intone, oh, wasn't that fun? But currently now it's not so much. It's really kind of what's coming across to me. I think it suffers from, and I think it highlights the issue with a lot of crossover events where mm-hmm. they do something to try to bring in all these major characters, but they don't have enough story to justify all of these different people being involved. And so the story sure. just sort of spreads water a little bit. Like, like I th- there are interesting things. That this this idea of um, uh, th- this character having basically been what got Peter Parker his career that he has now, or you know, mm-hmm. being a, a factor on why the Hulk was able to slightly control his powers, and you know, being someone who worked with you know Fantastic Four. Like those ideas are interesting, but what their involvement is in his story didn't seem to be enough for like a massive crossover that you're like, you had to know it is. And I think maybe they, they are a little bit better about building up to bigger things now. Maybe I, I'm not I think they're getting there, but like another recent disappointment, I guess say was, uh, I thought the most recent run of James Bond movies all in all have been quite good, but you've got Spectre, which tried to retcon. Yeah, this villain says, "See, I've been involved with you this yep. whole time, and it felt so tacked on and well, not necessarily and even needed." The other thing too, though, is because when that movie came out, I decided to go back and watch every James Bond movie mm-hmm. that year, and they don't—they haven't mentioned Spectre for a long time. Like they mentioned him like briefly in the '60s, and then they don't mention him again. You know, I mean, then it becomes all about Cold War. Ever ever since they dropped Blofeld into a yeah. chimney in a. Uh... That's like live and let die yeah. or something somewhere in the early uh, more era. Yeah. But yeah. See, and the other issue I had with Spectre. So my most hated movie one year happened to have been that Star Trek Into Darkness. You still like Benedict Cumberbatch. That's part of it, but it's he he's involved with this issue. And Spectre has the same problem: is they've got this inside thing for the audience that has zero bearing on the main characters. And Into Darkness was such a degree as. Yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch going, it's like, well, actually, my real name is Khan. And even the actors on the movie and the show, and they're like, 
who the fuck is Khan? And they had to yeah. go ask old time Spock going, who is this guy? He's like, he was a real bad guy in my timeline. It's like, oh, bad guy. Well, we'll just take care of this. But it had absolutely zero bearing. So even when um, Inspector goes, I'm Blofeld. And that's supposed to mean something. Where Star Trek had it in a better position, people know who Khan is. If not yeah. for nothing else, then the the William Shatner cliche of him yelling Khan. Right, Whereas and that was Blofeld, incredible and awesome. Yeah, but like, because like you cannot you you can even not be a major Khan. Star Trek fan and know Khan. You know what I mean? Right. But like, I I watched every James Bond movie, and I don't think I would pull like if you were to say. Who is Blofeld? I wouldn't immediately think he's a villain from James Bond. Like that name would not like it could be anything. Out of context, you would have no idea. Whereas like who is Khan, you'd be like, oh, he's a bad guy in Star Trek, at least. Most people would know that. You know what I mean? Right, but it had zero impact in the story in and of itself. I guess coming through here, it's like retconning things. And it was just really what I was just bringing that up. It was a retconning mess. Okay. So here here's the question for you. How yeah. angry would the world be if the Sentry came in in Avengers 2 and fixed the Infinity Gauntlet issue? Oh, that would. <laughs> that might be my that favorite be- thing ever. That would be the, the event of the Sentry. <laughs> Is what they would call it. Oh, <laughs> I just can't imagine how angry people would be. Oh, would they would be- want Kevin Feige's head on a pike. Oh my Yeah, God. it would be terrible. And I, it, here's the thing, though, is I was thinking about this. I, I asked mm-hmm. this on Facebook like a couple months ago. I'm like, if if Kevin Feige came to you and said blank or no, Bob Iger came to you and said blank mm-hmm. check, we're going to get all of the Fox properties. You can do any movie you want to do. You're going to executive produce it, pick your cast, writer, director, mm-hmm. et cetera. What would you do? What would you pick out of the toy box that you hadn't done? And I was like, you know, I would actually love to see a Sentry movie done incredibly well. Uh, But I would do it Mm -hmm. after the merger happened and after a bunch of the X-Men movies had happened and after Deadpool had happened and have it be like, oh, hey, there's this forgotten character that mm-hmm. Fox had that now we're going to do and um, and see if people would like play along with the joke. Probably most of them wouldn't. And so you'd have to do something with it, but it would have to be its own thing. You couldn't be like, sure. oh, hey, here's this guy out of the blue who's going to fix everything deus ex century. That's really stupid. No, I agree. What I would do in that situation, I would get Donny Cates and I would tell him to have fun because I love that writer. He is awesome. So he's currently doing Venom. Is that is that the one, the turd in the wind line? Have you seen that online? No, I have. I mean, I I've been avoiding online. (laughs) So there's this little bit in Venom that came out and you've got this Venom character going, we're going to eat your arms. We're going to eat your legs and we're going to eat your face and you'll just become this turd in the wind. And you've got a DC character going, turn in the wind, huh? <laughs> and it just kind of ends right there because it's kind of a funny, cheesy line. But apparently, someone who doesn't read Marvel, it's kind of a throwback in some ways of much of the Venom speak he has done in the past. But calling someone a turd in the wind, it just got me and I thought it was hilarious. Symbiote. 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 <laughs> what are you doing, Sony? <laughs> Jenny Slate, I love you. But... <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I'm buying this here. Symbiote? There, isn't there someone's job to prevent that? Couldn't they still fix that in post? 
I would hope so. They'd be like, we're going to bring just, you back and just do a little ADR. And you're going to yeah, yeah, symbiote. Just fix it. Just fix it. Gonna yeah, they happened. do things all the time between trailers and the right. movie. Just fix it. Don't yeah. say symbiote. <laughs> fix it. That's right. And then we'll all forget right. of what was that right. type of a deal. Because that, that was more distracting for the trailer than anything else. I walk away. It's like, what would you think of the Vim- Venom trailer? And you're like, symbiote, yep. huh? Yep. I'm trying. I'm thinking really hard on your question, Andy. Of like what I would do if I had the the Marvel toy box. And now, is this just the Fox owned properties, or is this all Marvel properties? No, no, no. Uh, I opened it up to Bob Iger, Disney included, and 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 so my second answer is actually, uh, I'd I'd do a Marvel produced Condor Man movie because I'm already getting my my Mary Poppins with Lin Manuel Miranda. So I don't I don't mm-hmm. need that sure. anymore. But if I'm gonna pick a Disney property. Uh, it seems like a good time to do an action comedy Condor Man that is meta, where the new Condor Man is a struggling writer at Marvel who has been trying to make Condor Man a thing, and he's terrible. But he gets involved in uh, in Russian spying, which is oh so timely right now. So, and it could be ridiculous and hilarious. You know, I would love a. Uh finish the trilogy of the rescuers and do another rescuers movie and involve all this oh, somehow what? rescuers down under that was my jam that was great it really got was. George, george c scott he is a great disney villain oh yeah i think that i would do i don't i'm gonna like edit this and be like no i have a better answer now but for right now <laughs> in my mind I would do a really dark horror movie version of uh, Craven's Last Hunt. Is what I think I would do. Hmm. Like a really dark, psychological, messed up sort of. I have like Hollywood Pictures put it out kind of a deal. Yeah, exactly. Do something like something or in the uh, yeah, touch on something in the veins of like um, Silence of the Lambs. You know what I mean? Like real dark, creepy, messed up. You know, Spider-Man crawling out of a grave kind of thing. You know, like. Just something really dark and different. Like, of course, I mean, mm-hmm. all the moms who took their kids to that film would hate me, but I think it would be interesting. No, it'd be all right. It'd be cool. Like, Logan was a fantastic Wolverine movie. It was. And I'm sure there was a lot of moms upset at that one as well. And you know what I even like with Craven? That was dark. It was doing a great job. But that moment when Spider-Man had to go to a costume shop. And yeah. he had to get that costume of his old style. <laughs> and he was so upset. It's like, I guess this will have to work. Yeah. And he was just kind of a little disgusted with himself. It was absolute with timeless. With a nice spider mouse on the back, or Spider-Man yeah. on the back of it. The German. Yes. That was amazing. And I absolutely love that part in the movie. Because it really was quite this serious, unending thing. But you have this things like, well, I guess I need a suit now. And he's like, Christ, this is what I'm going to have to use good grief i'm embarrassed for myself and i just love I that i think for my vision of that i think that's too light i don't think that would make the cut of my film i hate to say all right that's fair but yeah, and, and, and that's where tongue boycotts my films that's right <laughs> but do we want to do some cocktails while we're kind of i can hear todd drinking in the background so uh seems like a good time as any to do cocktails sure um and since it's very fitting for this book uh, my cocktail is called the Memory Loss Cocktail, uh, <laughs> which if you Google Memory Loss Cocktails, you get a lot of Alzheimer's medication uh, hits as well. Uh, but uh, this is... Well, that's uh, better than what I thought it was going to be. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess that's You're true. No, there was no rookies involved. Okay, good. Um, yeah. No, that would be a different animal entirely. Uh, 
one ounce of banana liqueur, one ounce of uh, 1.5 ounces of cranberry juice, 1.5 ounces of orange juice, one ounce of vodka, and one ounce of Chambord. Uh, did I say that right, Todd? Yeah, it sounds good. Okay. Raspberry liqueur. Uh, you mix all the ingredients into a glass with ice, and you can either drink as is or strain them into two sh- uh, large shot glasses um, and take it as two shots. But there's your memory loss cocktail. Uh, Andy, what is your mocktail for the week? Uh, I've got a wonderful summer smoothie to stay cool during during the heat of August. Uh, this is the smoothie of a thousand or a million exploding suns. Uh, first, you want to take some grenadine and uh, drizzle it down the sides of your glass that you're going to put this into. Uh, then in a blender, take mm-hmm. 12 ounces of peach juice, or if you can find it, mango juice. Uh, take one scoop of low-fat vanilla frozen yogurt, one scoop of pineapple sherbet, uh, and then as as big as your ice cream scoops are, about the same amount of peaches, mangoes, and strawberries. A little bit of ice, blend that all up, put it in there so you get the nice little stripes of grenadine down the side, and it'll have these beautiful red speckles in it. Absolutely delicious. Mm. Uh, drink that. Yeah. See, I'd awesome. be tempted to add some like habanero in there because with that Ooh. million exploding suns and a bit of the heat with all that flavor, I bet that'd be pretty awesome. That'd be pretty good. Yeah. yeah. There's something about heat and drinks that like I get it and I understand it and I appreciate it. Like, and when I actually drink it, I'm okay with it. But like from just talking about it or thinking about it on the offset, like it just seems wrong. You know what I mean? The strangest thing I ever had was a uh, sorbet that it was a uh, mango habanero sorbet, and it was spicy as hell. So mm-hmm. you would put this frozen concoction in your mouth like, oh, this is so cold. My mouth is burning up. I need to cool it down. So you want to put more in your mouth. So no. It's, like, it's so cold, and yet I'm dying of all this fire. And it was just this paradox that was confusing physically. I love it. It was awesome. Well, Todd, what's your cocktail? Well, mine is going similar theme to yours. Um, I think Brian's going to like this one specifically. This is um, Forget Me Not is the name of the cocktail. I got it from the Bundaberg website. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. So this has 50 milliliters of tequila because Bundaberg's Australian and they're not American. So they use the metric system. 15 milliliters of Aperol, which I had to look this up. I'm like, what's Aperol? And it's a, um, a partif. Um, made of uh, rhubarb and cinchinoa, which is another kind of thing. So it's kind of like a sweet rhubarby apartif. Go ahead and take one bottle of your Bundaberg pink grapefruit juice, 20 milliliters of lime juice, and what you're going to go ahead and do is you combine all the ingredients into a shaker, you shake the shit out of them, and you strain it into a tall glass, and um, then you add the orange and lime wedges to garnish, and you enjoy that drink. Hmm. Forget me not. It does. Very herbal, kind of, probably with that grapefruit, though. Right. It, it's it's a bit herbal. It's not the sweetest thing out there. And yeah, but that's okay. I, I can see where that would work, though. I can totally see where that would work. I really think the tequila sells it because if it was a rum, it might, you know, it, it, it makes it an interesting of, hmm, what is this I'm tasting? And it kind of has an interesting spread. I imagine the beginning and the end has quite a different finish. Probably. Well, you know, I'm, I'm not much of a tequila fan, but I would probably try that if it was made with a decent tequila. Well, what I'm drinking right now is basically a uh, Moscow Mule, but I'm using the um, Salt Lake's finest Garwood's Extra Spicy Ginger Beer, 
which is enough to burn oh, yeah. you out on its own. I had some of the Ooh. mild stuff of that, and it was super spicy. They have an extra spicy. That is that is, what you're drinking? It's, it's incredible, but I've got it mixed with lime juice and then Hornitos tequila. And it is a bit of something else. I put it together, and Amy's like, you know, you can stand over there. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah, a, a little bit. Love it. So, yeah. Oh, I'm gonna next time I'm in Salt Lake, I'll have to try some. I love a really strong ginger beer. Oh yeah, oh, then that's that's the stuff for you. Garwoods for sure. is for you. Yeah. And their seasonal one right now is a grapefruit grapefruit honey ginger beer. Mm-hmm. And that one's simply delightful. Wonderful. It really is. Well, cool. Andy, do you have anything else you want to discuss on the century before we move on? No, that's that's pretty much it. I think that's that's everything I have to say about that book. Well, then, let us go into grades. Um... Jamie, school is never a waste of time. Since we have 15 minutes until recess, please put down your pencils and stare at the front of the room. It's report card time. It's report card time. It's report card time. So fucking fun. God, please, no, 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 no. Because there's a bunch of different issues in here, we'll kind of, should we just do the, uh, Paul Jenkins is the writer, but there's probably, there's more writers than that because there's the other individual issues as mm. well. Uh, but for writing, for uh, Paul Jenkins and right. the other writers, what is your grade, Mr. Todd? You know, I give it a C plus. It did have a tendency to drag. Um, I think this was a crossover less successful earlier we did vader down now that was only two books mm-hmm. crossing over but that was masterfully done it, yeah that one felt so seamless and everything was important it didn't feel like there was extra fat this one has a lot of extra fat in it c plus i'm gonna give it a b minus similar reasons i mean i'm discussed before good idea not necessarily great execution but uh i could see where this idea you know, Andy could make this into a really fun movie, I think, mm-hmm. and do something interesting that way. Um, and Andy, what is your grade for writing? Yeah, I'm in, I'm in a B for writing. Uh, I think the Paul Jenkins stuff, just the main century book, those five issues, I would give like a B plus. Mm-hmm. But when they hit at the end of that fourth book and they go into all crossover issues, it just kind of grinds to a screeching halt while we go down all of these different pathways. And mm-hmm. some of them work better than others the hulk book the spider-man book were better the angel x-men book was like why am i reading this i I don't get it um and so for overall it's like b it was good but there there were definitely elements they could have done better uh yeah like todd said trim fat yeah uh of those books the hulk one i think was my favorite actually um, but uh, cool. Then for art, for uh, we're gonna say Jay Lee, but there's a bunch of other artists in here, um, and you know, so we're not gonna represent everybody, but we'll just say art in general for all these books. Uh, what is your grade? We'll go with Mr. Andy this time. Yeah, uh, same B. Um, some of it I loved. I I love the retro stuff. I mm-hmm. I thought that was a lot of fun. Uh, I have differing feelings uh, in in different places. Um, there are a couple of pages that I'm like, now that is a lot of fun. Um, but those were very few and far in between in what was actually kind of a longer mm-hmm. book overall. So um, 
you know, but there's very little in here that really astounds me. So, yeah, just a just a B. Yep, Mr. Todd. I would like to break this up, and the retro stuff gets a B plus because I'm right there with Andy. That current mm-hmm. stuff with the hey, look what new nifty thing I learned at Photoshop gets it's a solid C. That really just started <laughs> to irk me after a while, and I'm just like. The fact that this is bothering me, and when I look at it, I'm like, oh yeah, look what he did there. And it's the fact that I can see the technique, and it took me out of the story, is my biggest problem with it right there. So, if you take out the Photoshop fun, it's a much better score. The retro stuff is much better than the other stuff, so I give it a B-, minus, all in all. I think I'm the only one who actually kind of likes the modern stuff, and I'm okay with it. I do like the retro stuff a lot as well. I'm going to just go with the B. Uh-huh. Um, I, I, th- I think it's fun. I, I get I get where your complaints are. I actually thought it was okay. So, actually, I, I would go back. Says the, the drawing was a B plus. The coloring was a C. Okay. So, okay. there is quite the difference there. So, I guess for overall grades, um, I'm going to sit at uh, B minus, I think. Probably where I about average out at. Um, I like the art more than I like the the writing, but uh, I still think the concept's interesting. Uh, Mr. Todd, what's your grade? I think it was Frank Capra says a good movie is like three good scenes with no bad scenes. Yeah. I can't point at anything here that was bad, but I'm mm-hmm. not sure there were three good scenes in it. So I'm going to give it a C plus. And Mr. Andy. That sounds really fair. I like that Frank Capra scale. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm maybe a little more forgiving than that. So, I mean, average both of my grades together. I'm still at a B. Um, if I'm being really honest about it in my nostalgia twinged heart, this will always have more of a meaning for me. And so it's like a minus personally, mm-hmm. but if it were not that, and, um, when, when we get to my suggestions, um, the fact that I know other books that other people should read also, uh, make me like this more than maybe it deserves. Well, that sounds like an excellent segue into, uh, you know, recommendations. So what would you recommend? Uh, go back and read Bendis's Dark Avengers book. It's a great segue into this. Dark Avengers uh, is right after Secret Invasion. Uh, the scrolls come in. They've been uh, impersonating a bunch of people at the end of Secret Invasion. Spoiler alert. Norman Osborn kills the Skrull Queen and is a hero. And so he's redeemed and uh, tells Tony Stark, I'm taking over. He takes over S.H.I.E.L.D. and he steals Iron Man's armor and becomes the Iron Patriot. Uh, and because all of the other Avengers are like, hell no, we're not doing this. Uh, they all take off and go underground. And uh, so he assembles a team of fake Avengers to pretend that they're the Avengers. So you've got Venom pretending Spider-Man. You have, uh, oh, I want to say Deadshot, and that's not his name. You have Bullseye pretending to be Hawkeye. uh, And you've got X-23 pretending to be Wolverine. And uh, he rounds the team out with Ares and the Sentry. And through the whole of Bendis' arc on Dark Avengers, uh, both Norman Osborn and Bob Reynolds are dealing with serious mental health issues and uh but they kind of understand one another and uh there's a lot of back and forth between the two of them and they get really really heavily into the centuries past and uh drug abuse and spousal abuse 
and other things. And you're like, whoa, this guy is not that great, but there is a redemptive arc for him. And so if the concept of the century is interesting to you, uh, go check out what Bendis does with him. I think there are three books of Dark Avengers overall, and you might need to pick up the Siege crossover trade paperback as well for that. Um, but I, I think that's that's it, and that should give you the the entire uh, okay. story arc of the century. I actually have that Dark, uh, or I have that Siege crossover. I just haven't read the Dark Avengers stuff. But... Cool. Uh, Todd, do you have any recommendations? Yeah, we uh, mentioned it a little bit on the show. Um, recently, Vertigo has put out the complete omnibus of Ex Machina by Brian K. Vaughn. Mm-hmm. So if you want to get into that, it's 54 issues in one book. And wow. it's the entire run of Ex Machina. And it's worth a read. Um, if you want to go buy it, In Stock Trades is your friend. You love those big omnibuses. I kind of do. And... You know, I love them because, like, you can get the story, and I hate them because you're reading them at your kitchen table and nowhere else. Well, that's the thing is, like, I like to throw I throw a lot of comics in my backpack and then take them with me wherever I'm at. And... You're not doing that. This one is 1,400 pages. Yeah, exactly. That, like, <laughs> my, my buddy Christopher, who Todd knows, um, yeah. he, he always, every time he gets a new phone, he, uh, he, he puts out a review online by how heavy the phone is because he ultimately will be lying in bed holding it above his head typing away on the phone and then drop it and it will hit his face and i just think of every time we talk about one of these big tomes of comic books i just think of lying in bed reading that book over head and then all of a sudden it's like so how'd todd die well he was reading next machina on bed fell asleep and suffocated so that is completely fair i have a recommendation sort of but i i really kind of wanted adam to be here because it's sort of a movie nerdy thing um, I'll be your Huckleberry. Maybe I'll, you'll be my. Well, it was for you as well. That's why I wanted to do it. But have you ever have you ever heard of uh, Filmstruck? Yes. Okay, so I've been trying it. I've been doing the the fourteen day free trial thing, and they. So for those of you who don't know what Filmstruck is, it's sort of like a. It's an artsy fartsy version of Netflix. They have the movies from the Criterion Collection. They have the movies from uh, Turner Classic Movies. And they put together the, I mean, they have these movies and like it changes for like Netflix. They don't have quite the selection Netflix has, but it has a lot of like older stuff, which is kind of something like I grew up watching AMC a lot. And so like that was sort of something that I always loved. Like I'm always, you know, I, I like I, probably one of my favorite things in the world is old Laurel and Hardy sh- uh, shorts and things like that, which are oddly enough really hard to find online. Don't ask me why. Like, they're not streaming anywhere, so I mean, I have to buy them or download them illegally. Anyway, but Filmstruck does uh, some interesting things. One of the things they do, which I think is really interesting, is like I think it's Thursday nights they do a double feature where they pair two films together. And the one that struck me as super interesting, and I watched, I, I've been, I, I haven't, I've watched the first film, I haven't watched the second film yet, or I've, I haven't rewatched the second film, I should say, is they paired uh, Ingrid Bergman's Seventh Seal with uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Hmm. Oh, that's great! Because it's it's both it's both uh, playing games with death is basically what it is. Uh, but so I but it finally got me to see Ingrid Bergman's Seventh Seal, and I and I have to say it looks amazing. It's the Criterion edition of it. Like they've it it looks other than the fact that it's black and white, it could have been made yesterday. Like the the visual quality of it is fantastic. Like it just looks gorgeous. Um, but like 
those uh, those Germans, man. They uh, I almost recommended it to you, Todd, because of uh, mm-hmm. a conversation we had about uh, when your dad came to you in the hospital when you were really drugged up. Uh, oh yeah. This film, this film will speak to that side of you a lot, a lot. It is, it is a film that's just a conversation about the nothingness and the futile existence that is life. It's, uh, it is super German, like super so, German. You know, some people like ask, like, describe yourself in a few words, and sometimes I'll refer to myself as the um, happy, optimistic nihilist. This is, it's a very nihilist. Like, I liked it. Don't get me wrong, I really For liked sure. it. Sure. Visually, it has some cool stuff in it. Like, like I watched this film being like, damn, like there's some really cool visuals in it. But like, mm-hmm. it's very nihilistic, like ridiculously <laughs> so. Like, and, and we talked about Dieter from uh, Saturday Night Live earlier. Like, this is uh-huh. definitely a, a very Dieter kind of film. Um, All so, right. But yeah, so so film struck for those of you who are interested in older films, and for those of you who just have never seen Seventh Seal, it's it's actually pretty great. Um, I enjoyed the hell out of it. it. But it's dark. It's it's super dark. <laughs> Dark. Uh, does anybody else have anything else they want to mention before we? Actually, I do have a question. As I'm perusing this right now, because I haven't heard of it before, Andy, can you just describe graphic policy? What's the? Oh, what is yeah. it? So, graphic policy. Uh, the tagline is where comics meet politics, and uh, it is a. Uh, it's a website mostly dedicated to comics, but I do most of the film reviews, uh, not all. Uh, but we also have people covering uh, comics-related TV. Um, but mostly we're just talking about comics issues. Um, our our editor is uh, this guy named Brett, who uh, also works for liberal nonprofits in D.C. and very politically connected and a lot of the people writing for the site uh, have definite like mm-hmm. political opinions. Um, we've got a couple right wing people, but uh, it is a fairly like left leaning site, uh, and so we often do commentary on various different things. But uh, we also just have like you know straight up reviews of you know what what happened in uh, in Black Panther, Captain America this week. Mm-hmm. So. I'm looking at one of your reviews, and you have this line. It says, writer and director Chris McQuarrie delivers his best film ever for Mission Impossible Fallout. And my question for you on this is, um, where would you put Way of the Gun? Oh, interesting. Um, Because Way of the Gun, in a lot of ways, to me, felt like an exercise of writing terrible human beings and getting you to like them anyways. Yeah, I here's the interesting thing about Way of the Gun is okay, well let me take it even one step further back. Okay, yeah, so I'm really just putting Andy yeah. on the spot here I, by the I way. Think it's, <laughs> it's, it's, he's doing remarkably yeah. well. McQuarrie is an amazing writer mm-hmm. and you look at the usual suspects and how well that is weaved together. It is one of the most perfect scripts in my opinion of like the last two, three decades. I just think it's perfect. And mm-hmm. um, uh, Way of the Gun, I think was very similar in him trying to do something similar, uh, just, you know, instead of gangsters and organized crime with with Western motifs. Right. Um, the so, Queen of Hearts bit confused me for years, but I think I yeah. finally got it. Yeah, so uh, I, I thought it was really interesting. I don't think as um, 
But where I think he has developed is moving into directing now. Um, his previous films where he's written and directed them, uh, you know, have been, you know, good, but I never felt like there was something that interesting to say with them. Uh, you know, like Valkyrie, uh, Jack Reacher. It's like, okay, Tom Cruise wants to make this movie. I'm just going to kind of do this workmanlike thing to make it happen. Um, but there was nothing like kind of uh, astounding about that. I think what's interesting about Way of the Gun is that it is more interesting. And the only other thing that I would put in that same basket of recent would be Edge of Tomorrow. Um, so I'd kind of put them in an upper tier. Um, but I, ju I just thought Fallout was ridiculously amazing. Uh, the, the way that they the way that they put all of that together and even though things were telegraphed I didn't care it, it was it was like watching a live action cartoon sometimes didn't care it was just it was so enjoyable also just random side note speaking of uh, politics and comic books so last week we read uh, March mm -hmm. um, and I got a recommendation from uh, Amazon thank you Amazon for another book by the same artist, uh, Nate Powell, and I picked it up and it arrived today. And I hadn't I haven't read it yet, but I read the back. But it is also another book about the civil rights movement, so uh, it's from a slightly different perspective. Um, but I'm excited to read that as well. So, you know, there's another politics and comic books sort of thing there for you as well. So, mm -hmm. anyway, what's that one called? Cool. Uh, I don't know. It's on my shelf okay. somewhere. I'm, I'm sorry. All right. It's it's too far away for me to see. It'll be in our show notes, but, kids. We yeah, have show notes. Uh, <laughs> we do, but it won't be in there. Um, <laughs> don't don't lie to people. They're lucky if I can get the drinking games and the cocktails in there. Um, so yeah. So next week we are going to be doing Manifest Destiny, mm -hmm. which Mr. Andy, who picked it, will be able to describe for you now. Yeah. So this is an alternative history comic based on the idea that when Lewis and Clark went to go map the the pacific northwest and the louisiana territory that the united states had just gotten they did it because there's monsters out there <laughs> awesome so um this, this is the the first of the books that i have not actually read but it was recommended to me and immediately hit me like oh that's something that i should enjoy so if it's terrible i'm sorry uh but it it seems like it should be pretty good and the fact that there have been several of these tell me that it's got some sort of an audience so there we go lewis and clark and awesome. monsters cool how do you go uh, wrong with that i don't know hopefully hopefully we will not find out and next week we will reveal to you the next month's books but i will tell you the theme right now the team we're calling ghost sports or sports ball or something like that we're doing all sports related comic books um one of the dead giveaways is uh one of the inspirations was I was reading the most recent trade of Southern Bastards. And so we'll be doing the first book, Southern Bastards, because both uh, Maya and I have loved that book. Um, and yeah, there's a bunch of others uh, that have arrived in the mail. So I'm excited about that. Uh, but that'll, we'll give you the whole rundown next week. And we should have Adam and Maya back next week. Once again, thank you for joining us, Andy, and happy birthday. Thank you. And uh, we will see you guys next week for the, uh, the last of the Andy Wilson books. So, uh, Thanks and uh, have a good night. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode. This band of knuckleheads will be back next week with a new episode.
Until then, you can find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr as Funny Books and Firewater. And on Twitter as at FirewaterCast. Go to FunnyBooksAndFirewater.com for the most up-to-date information. As well as cocktail recipes from this and past episodes. Thank you for joining us. And until next week, support your local comic shop. Tip your bartender well. And stay hydrated.